Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. It's been a month since the powerful storm Fiona battered the coasts of the Atlantic provinces. It caused at least $660 million in damages. In Prince Edward Island, it knocked out power to 82,000 homes and businesses, and it's taken weeks for people to get it back. Yeah, I was there, uh, you know, almost three weeks after the storm passed through. And frankly, I was stunned at the level of of devastation that's still kind of evident everywhere. The Globe's Greg Mercer recently visited PEI. I mean, we're talking thousands of trees wherever you drive around the island, just piles of of giant trees that have been pulled out of the ground that are still waiting to be cleared. You know, there's still a lot of buildings that had severe damage that, you know, are missing roofs. I, I passed by old barns that were torn in half, fishing wharves that were left crumpled, you know, lobster boats that were, were thrown aside by the storm. It was staggering, frankly, that three weeks after the storm, it, it, there's still that level of, of damage. He spoke with people there about what comes next after spending the last month picking up the pieces after Fiona. This is The Decibel. Greg, thanks so much for joining me again. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. One of the places that that you went to in PEI was this cottage resort and golf course. Can you tell me what what was it like there? Yeah, so uh, you drive down this little rural road out on this this point um, in Rustico to to get there to to Rustico Resort and uh, Golf and Cottages. And as you're coming into the place, there are these two what's left of cottages, really it's mostly just debris and a couple of roofs right at the edge of the road. And it, and it feels very strange that they're right there. And as you drive by, you realize that they are just, there's nothing left of them. They've been completely torn apart. And then as you enter into the property, you learn why it's because they used to be by the shore and the storm surge literally picked them up and threw them onto the road and, and just left them in, in a pile of rubble. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when you, as soon as you arrive, immediately it's clear how much damage there was. There's thousands of trees on the golf course that were uprooted or snapped. Uh, there, there's a giant buoy that should normally be out in the, in the harbor, uh, sorry, out in the cove, that's, uh, that's sitting up on land. You know, uh, all of the cottages that are along their shoreline had water damage. Um, it's pretty extensive, and, and you see it as soon as you pull into their property. Yeah. Wow. And and I understand you did talk to the owners of the resort. Can, can you tell me about them? Yeah. So so David Saunders and, and Miradel and Chetta, um, they're new owners. They just bought this, this place um, in the springtime. So they were just really finishing up their first successful season as, as new owners. So it's your wedding day on that day, Saturday. So with their families and everybody here. So You're kidding. Yeah. So we have our... But of course, Fiona, this uh, this horrible storm had had other plans. It it came overnight, uh, Friday into Saturday morning, um, wow. and turned everything upside down for them. So they were supposed to get married actually on the the day of the hurricane. Then absolutely, yeah. I mean, they had something like forty guests who were at their uh, you know share, staying in their cottages and, and at their resort. Um, they had a, a wedding tent, and they had you know all the things you you gather when you're planning a wedding. Um, all of that stuff. Had to be uh, had to be tossed aside when the storm came through. I mean, um, 
in the middle of the night on, on Saturday, like 4 a.m. Saturday morning, David actually had to go cottage to cottage and rescue relatives who were like up, in some cases, up to their chest in seawater. David's friend yeah. told David, come and help, come and get me, I'm gonna die. Wow. And so David said, you have to hang in there, I'll come and get you. So he needs, so David went out the front door right. and he said, the water's just this high, you can't go out there. Yeah, yeah. So David grabbed a rope and, and one by one was basically uh, carrying people out of there and escorting them to safety, to higher ground. They walked all the way because the car, you couldn't even bring a car You couldn't drive. Anymore. But it was how high by the time they got out there? Like chest high? Yeah, chest high. Wow. And the waves were just really, really scary. You have videos. You know, the, the, the ocean came up quite a bit, like an unprecedented level because the, the force of Fiona was so great that it, it raised the entire surface of the water so high. And, you know, and that combined with high tide and like hurricane strength winds just pushed the water further onto land than we've ever seen it before in Prince Edward Island. People were afraid for their lives. They thought they were going to die. And the miracle of all this is that, you know, it only postponed their wedding by a day. You know, no one was hurt. David and Miradell were able to recover everything that they needed and they they had to bring in generators to kind of bring in some electricity they cooked everything outside on these these uh, butane stoves um, they even found Meridel's um, bridal bouquet it, it was inside one of the cottages the next day realized that one was crushed and there's a fridge somewhere inside it with some of the flowers right My bouquet is in there. so we went the cottage was destroyed, but a neighbor used some heavy equipment to lift the roof off of the, the building, and they found the fridge that the, the flowers were inside. inside. Lift this roof up. You can see the butt end of the fridge. Get out of here. Put a chain on it, and he was able to just go... Pull it in. Just the fridge. He's able to grab it. The door, and they were, a couple of them were turned over, but they were still there. And... He pulled out the, the fridge, and inside were the flowers, and, and so... Wow. Um, they had her bouquet and they could carry on. That's amazing. That's pretty in incredible to hear. Uh, and, and when you talked to them, Greg, this was a few weeks after then, how, how yeah. were they feeling when you when you talked to them at that point? I mean, they were remarkably upbeat about the whole thing. You know, they said, look, it's a miracle that nobody nobody was hurt. They said, look, we can rebuild. I mean, it's just a golf course. Um, it's full steam ahead. They plan to, to reopen in the spring for guests. You know, they've got a lot of work in front of them. They have to rebuild. I think eight cottages were destroyed by the storm. A lot of others suffered significant damage. You know, the main building, the restaurant and kitchen was flooded. Uh, so, so they have a long road ahead. But they're optimistic that they can turn the corner and, and be reopened in, in a few short months. Yeah. I guess you wondered, like, that's a pretty scary thing to go through. Does that, does that stick with them as well? Yeah, Meridel especially, she said, she told me it was terrifying that, um, you know, she and her sister said, frankly, they were traumatized by it. Like they, they left shortly after the storm and went back to Toronto for a while. When they returned the week that I was there, they said that when they saw the sea for the first time, they started crying. It was, it was that yeah. traumatic. Like there's, they're going to be scarred by this um, for a long time that, you know, this, this was, this was an awful event to go through. And you know, they, they really hope to never see anything like it again. And I know you talked to some other people when you were out in PEI, Greg. Yeah, does does what happened to this family actually fit with with what happened to other people that you talked to as well? 
Yeah, I mean, there's stories like this around the whole island. I mean, you didn't have to travel far to hear these kind of stories. It wasn't until I got up here that I realized sort of the pickle that we were in. So I talked to one resident, uh, Kevin Ryan, who lives on the south shore of Prince Edward Island. He lives in a place called South Pinette, which is about a half an hour outside of, of Charlottetown. Uh, he lives down a long wooded laneway that uh, leads toward the sea in, in an old uh, century farmhouse um, uh, with his family. On the night of the storm, they uh, their, their uh, laneway basically was completely um, collapsed by trees. When you go to it, it looks like the entire forest collapsed. And that fell onto the power lines that run to their house. So they spent about uh, nearly three weeks uh, without power in, in their home, you know, just waiting for crews to come by to clear this laneway. Because when a tree falls on your, your power line, you're not supposed to clear it yourself. You have to wait for a trained crew because those lines can can still be live and there's a risk of electrocution, so it's very dangerous. The damage was so extensive that we all knew it was going to be a long time. When I saw the lane, yeah. it was like, guys were, were in yeah. for long. Oh, yeah. Kevin and his family just had to tough it out. And, you know, we met them. It was nearing three weeks uh, at that point, And they were, they were starting to get frustrated uh, that they had waited that long without any kind of power. That's a pretty, that's a pretty tough situation to be in. I mean, what, what did it mean for him and, and his family to, to not have power for that long? Well, I mean, basically, you're you're camping in a house, right? I mean, you're you're relying on a, a wood stove to heat your home, and this was we were into October by that point, so there were some cold nights. I mean, all of their cooking had to be done outside, you know, on on a barbecue or on on a, on a camp stove. You know, you're using a flashlight to to see around your home as soon as the sun sets. He had to go to his mother's house to shower. You know, I mean, he has two young school age kids, so for them, I mean, it, it was frustrating and. All the things that we take for granted, all the, the uh, things in our home that require electronics, even, you know, our, our water pumps, you know, so you can't turn on the tap and use your water. I mean, they lost all the food in their fridge, in their freezer. You know, it, it was trying for them. I mean, Kevin was quick to say, well, there are others who are worse off than us and, and you know, we'll, we'll be okay. But clearly it was a frustrating ordeal for him and his family. But there's a lot of questions being asked in Prince Edward Island about how it could be that some of these these homes took two weeks or more to be reconnected. In fact, there are calls now for uh, a public inquiry to examine how the government responded to this this uh, storm and, and better understand why some of these delays were, were as bad as they were. Hmm. Because there's a lot of folks on Prince Edward Island who, who don't totally accept that this was just an unprecedented storm. They're just saying... PEI just simply wasn't prepared. We'll be right back. It seems like like there's obviously a ton of cleanup that needs to be done, but it, it does seem like it's taking a long time to get these things done. So do we have a sense of, of why the cleanup and getting power is is taking this long? Uh, partly, um, we do, you know, we do know there's a labor shortage on the island that has exacerbated things, right? I mean, and that labor shortage was a problem long before Fiona, but you, you add a, you know, a historic storm to it and it just compounds everything. It's gotten so bad, actually, that the, the provincial government has offered to compensate contractors from other parts of the country who come in and who can help with the cleanup and the rebuild is saying we'll pay your bill if to get to, to prince edward island if you come and help us they're that desperate for people why why is there a, a labor shortage greg like what, what's going on 
Uh, there's been one for a while. Just Prince Edward Island has been growing. Um, there's there's a housing shortage, so there's not a lot of places for for people to stay. So that many people have have left. Um, and it's uh, you know when you have that combination of a housing boom, which has been happening around Charlottetown, a lot of those people are tied up on those projects. And when suddenly there's this spike in demand for for tradespeople and a, a real limited supply, you just get you get extremely long waits for anyone to be able to to help out. Hmm. Are, are we seeing these delays in in other Atlantic provinces as well, like delays for the cleanup and things like this after after the the hurricane? Well, there's a, there's a labor shortage across Atlantic Canada, but it is seems to be most pronounced on Prince Edward Island, and mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's because of the, the nature of it being an island and because housing is in such short supply there, but it's certainly a problem elsewhere too. Hmm. And so, how how are people thinking about rebuilding uh, in, in PEI particular, but I guess broadly in, in in Atlantic Canada as well? It's it's a good question. There's a lot of folks who you know who love. Uh, you know, having seasonal cottages or homes on the shore in Prince Edward Island because of the view. I mean, that's exactly why they're there. But I think a storm like Fiona has caused some of them to think twice about that and to think about whether or not they want to live there anymore. Certainly, I talked to people in Newfoundland the previous week in in, uh, in Port of Basque, where something like 100 homes were destroyed by this powerful storm surge. We were saying, we don't want to live at the edge of the ocean anymore. We don't feel safe. We want to live further inland. You know, once you've gone through the experience of a, of a storm like Fiona, people don't want to see anything like that again. Yeah. And so that's saying something in a place where for generations they've lived literally on the edge of the sea. Now people are saying, we don't feel safe living that close to the water anymore. We can't trust the water in, in this era where the storms seem to be more and more violent. So, so that's kind of looking at where we would we would be building. So, like the proximity to the ocean. But I wonder about like actually rebuilding differently. Like, are people talking about how we can build things that would actually be more resilient to this kind of storm? Yeah, they definitely are. Um, you know, in Prince Edward Island and elsewhere. I mean, it, and, and not just with housing, but with infrastructure as well. People are are talking about how do we build schools more resilient so that the you know the roofs don't tear off when you have a storm like this or or bridges or roadways that don't wash away when you have these historic storms that seem to be increasingly common so uh, absolutely we're hearing that from government officials on down to private homeowners that people are saying maybe we need to build homes that are more hurricane strength resistant you know in the way that they build homes in places like say South Carolina where hurricanes are a more common occurrence that conversation is happening, and, and I think Fiona has just sped that along a lot. Hmm. Uh, the couple that, that you spoke to at the resort, Meridel and, and David, you said they're planning on rebuilding. Did, did they talk to you about how, about how they're planning on doing that? I think they're still waiting to see um, where they can rebuild. And, you know, like a lot of people on the island, they're waiting for some clarity from insurance on what will be insured. Um, they're waiting for clarity on whether there's going to be new regulations about how close to the shoreline you can build. So a lot of people in Prince Edward Island kind of are in a bit of a limbo right now. You know, they, they need more clarity around what the future looks like on PEI in terms of rebuilding. So they, they don't have those answers other than they're determined to rebuild. Um, they just don't know uh, if some new construction will be allowed in some of those locations. And and you you probably know this better than I do, Greg. Like for a storm like this, is the damage usually stuff that you can claim for your insurance or not? 
It depends on on your coverage, but a lot of uh, private property has clauses that uh, prevent claims related to uh, salt water. Um, so mm. you could claim you know house damage from wind, but if the ocean you know rose up and the storm surge washed through your house, well, you couldn't claim that, and that's affected a lot of people. So those people are eligible for some federal compensation that they have to apply for, and they have to you know prove that there was damage. But there have been some some announcements made around that in recent weeks. Mm, yeah, just just lastly here, I I guess how is how is all of this affecting people? Like, how would you describe the mood of people on the island? How they're feeling about about what happened and, and where they go from here? I I do think um, people were a little bit traumatized by the storm, um, you know, and I think. I think this was eye-opening for a lot of people. You know, this this is a part of Atlantic Canada that is used to severe storms, right? I mean, hurricane season is a thing in Atlantic Canada, but not like this. I mean, Fiona was in a league of its own in terms of its power. It's, it's certainly, it's the worst storm that Atlantic Canada has ever seen in terms of the, the cost uh, of the damage that it, that it brought. But, you know, islanders are, are some of the best kind of people and they are... You know, they're very quick to to help each other out and to try to find the upside and to, you know, talk about how determined they are to 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 build back and to have their island kind of reopen to tourists next spring. Because, of course, tourism is a is a very important industry on PEI. So, you know, islanders are, are taking this in stride as best as they can and, and they're determined to carry on. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. My pleasure. Thanks, Manica. That's it for today. I'm Manica Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.